0: I'm I'm a student of permaculture, a food patriot to the natural world, and a person who knows Cheap food is not cheap unless you're eating lentils.
1: <laughs> and that's what the show is about today. It's all about lentils. And I'm Karen Olson-Johnson. I'm the Resource Lead Development for the Women's Congress for Future Generations, the Director of the Council of Contributors, an organization Minnesota-based that's working to save the rhino in Africa from extinction. And a real foodie. That's why I'm liking this show today. <laughs> cool. And behind,
0: this, behind the scenes is Hunter. Good morning, Hunter. Morning. 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 And so I love this quote. Okay, 40 years ago, corporate agribusiness launched a campaign to push small grain farmers to modernize or perish. As the Nixon administration's Secretary of Agriculture, Eric Earl Butz, put it, get big or get out. But 27-year-old David
1: Oyen decided to take a stand. And that's what our show's about today. Welcome to the show,
2: David. It's great to be here.
1: And 27-year-old David Oyen. That was
2: some time ago, wasn't it? Uh, it was. That was 40 years ago for me. <laughs> I don't know how long it was ago for the rest of you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a while. But okay. I remember Nixon and I remember Earl Butts.
2: yeah, yeah. And I remember,
0: <laughs> get bigger, get out. But what what was your guys' response to that? Well... Um,
2: you know the uh, the government program at that time really was to was to help industrialize agriculture and to and to um, serve global markets, you know, rather than local markets. Um, and as part of that, uh, federal farm policy was to encourage farmers to capture, you know, what is commonly called uh, the economy of scale: get big, get big. And um, you know, when I moved back to the farm my father who was a conventional farmer i'm a i'm a, a third generation montana farmer my grandparents homesteaded in the early 1900s um and, but when i moved back to the farm uh, my dad had you know kind of joined that um evolution of agriculture post world war ii evolution used increasing farming inputs um fertilizers pesticides and so forth uh, but by the time I moved back to the farm in 1976, you know, there was this kind of this this push afoot on the federal level uh, policy, federal farm program and so forth, to get bigger, get out. And um, you know that really didn't suit me because our farm was, you know, a relatively small farm. In those days it was considered maybe a medium-sized farm, 380-acre farm. Um, but my dad said something to me because I asked him, I said, you know, Dad, why did you not by the neighbors when they were retiring or they needed to sell out. And he said, you know, I would rather have the neighbors than have the neighbors land. <laughs> Oh, you
0: know, nice. Yeah, yeah. You know. because that whole get big, get out was devastating for our rural area.
2: Exactly. had very, very negative impacts on, on, on small rural communities especially. You know, you carry that to the logical extension, well, there's only one farmer left in the county. If, you know, you kind of keep buying your neighbors out, get bigger and get bigger, you know, to become more and more efficient, well, sooner or later, um, you lose the rural culture, you lose uh, the, the small businesses in the small towns and the farms kind of dry up and in fact uh, that, that happened um, you know, during the um, um, during the 70s and 80s, very dramatically.
1: Very and, dramatically. And Get Big or Get Out was a, supposedly an economic panacea that it was going to solve so many problems, right? Yeah. And it was going to address so many needs, you know, like feeding everybody and, you know, taking care of agriculture. I mean, this was like a way for farmers to take care of themselves, get big, you know, right. increased yields, increased profit, you know, all of that sort of thing. But something happened, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Um,
2: even though, you know, even though we have continued to get big and get out, you know, g- generally in agriculture, um, we are still not feeding the world, you know. Th- th- there are still people going hungry no matter how big farms have gotten, you know, no matter how efficient farms have gotten, no matter how much chemicals and how many pesticides and, and, and fertilizers farmers are using. Uh, so the problem of feeding the world is really kind of, you know, a false a false promise in the sense. And that was one of the things that, you know, really you know, kind of I think struck I mean, myself and other people of my generation who moved back to their family farms and converted them to organic production because uh, we just saw that you know, that bigger kid big out was, was, was really a false promise and, and was not going you to know, be helpful for the soil or for the communities. And mm-hmm. I
0: love this quote from your dad that I'd rather have my neighbors than my neighbors land. So, now, what did you do 40 years ago? What did you start doing in in Montana?
2: Well, um, after a degree in philosophy and religious studies, and, you know, having read uh, Rachel Carson's Silent Spring... And, and uh, Buckminster Fuller Small is Beautiful, you know. And... Buckminster
0: Fuller, Utopia or Oblivion? I love
2: that book.
0: <laughs> it literally yeah. fell on my foot once. Yeah. It was like, Utopian or Oblivion? Got it. <laughs> yeah.
2: And in, that, in those days, I mean, Whole Earth Catalog yeah. you know, was the other one. I mean, Rodale Institute was getting started. I mean, all of those things, you know, yeah. I mean, really spoke to me. So, you know, rather than big, Get Big or Get Out, you know, my question was, how can, how, how can we stay small and get better? Rather than get big and get out, and and the way I approached that was to convert the farm to certified organic production. You know, look for different markets, look for ways to build the soil rather than uh, rather than deplete the soil with other with ever larger production. And uh, so, um, converted the farm to certified organic. And as part of that, um, the synthetic fertilizers that my father was using was not. Um, You know, was was not appropriate for organic production. It's like, well, how do how do we create this soil fertility biologically rather than chemically? And um, um, that's when I discovered legumes. That's when I discovered you know lentils, more particularly. Oh my
0: God. Yeah. Legumes, like like legumes, have humans ever what, what have humans ever been eating legumes? Uh,
2: you know that's pretty interesting <laughs> because <laughs> because uh, lentils, as an example, were one of the first crops that were domesticated. They're over ten thousand years old, and ten
0: thousand years of proven study.
2: Yeah, exactly right. You know, and people have been eating them for ten thousand years as well, using them in cropping rotations because, as uh, all legumes do, they capture nitrogen from the air and and replenish the soil.
0: Um, they take the nitrogen from the air and put it in the soil.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's that, that's done through a symbiotic relationship uh, with with bacteria that live in the soil. And, and why would the soil need nitrogen? Well, nitrogen is one of the uh, it, it is the single key limiter, uh, uh, fertility limiter for all plants. Thank you. All <laughs> plants need need mm-hmm. nitrogen to grow, and and that's the primary uh, nutrient that, that they do need. And, you know, Miraboli Dick too. somewhere along the line, evolution provided for a certain class of plants to do that on their own in, in symbiotic relationship with uh, And with when you bacteria. just keep
1: planting corn, season after corn, season after corn or soy or whatever, what are you doing to the soil, and why would you want a legume?
2: Okay, so um, when I moved back to, to Montana, um, at, at that time... In the climate we had at that point, um, nobody was growing corn, but everybody was growing wheat. Wheat was very well adapted to the northern Great Plains, which is where I come from, Um, a semi-arid environment. Uh, Grasses grow very well there. And uh, wheat, barley, oats, or grass, and that was the primary crop that was produced, and that was also the cro- primary crop that was subsidized by the federal government uh, for you know this export mentality, this bigger get-out mentality. Uh, narrow what you're growing, grow only what you know, grow only one or two crops, grow a lot of it with lots of fertilizer, and and um, that's how you know um, that's how. The economy is going to work in, in in rural America. In my geography, it was it was wheat uh, out here in the Midwest. It was primarily corn, uh, but you know those crops do not produce their own nitrogen fertilizer. They they have no ability to capture uh, the nitrogen. So um, after a certain number of years, the the soil fertility just naturally degrades. The wheat, the the barley, the corn, whatever takes. Nutrients out of the soil and does not and, and does not replenish it. Uh, the legumes have the ability to recapture that nitrogen uh, from the air and and put it back in the soil. So so build the soil fertility naturally, biologically, not chemically. So
0: I want to go back 40 years ago when you started researching and starting to plant lentils. Um, what did your neighbors think about you when you were talking about lentils?
2: Well, you know, rural communities are uh, they're kind of conservative. You know, by and large. and and um, and farmers, by nature, need to be cautious, need to be careful because they are facing, you know the vagaries of the weather, the challenge of the market, and everything. So it's no surprise that you know farmers kind of tend to stick doing what they know how to do and what has been, you know, more or less successful in the past, even if maybe over the course of time it has become less and less successful, you know, uh, once once markets drop, once soil fertility diminishes, once they have to add more and more chemicals, more fertilizer, you know, so the economics don't work as well, uh, you know, but even in spite of that, you know, growing a different crop kind of uh, is not always... <laughs> highly accepted in rural areas. You let's, probably seem like kind it of it a renegade, way. right? Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, yeah. Some people, I'm sure, thought that.
0: Some pe- um, What do people now think?
2: Uh, you know, it's 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 interesting that in the last uh, ten to twelve years, uh, Montana has become the number one producer of lentils in America. <laughs> That, sure. I, I, I take very little I take very little credit for that. Actually, um, um,
1: the lentil underground's gone mainstream. Yeah, yes. I know. Well, Montana. Let's well, not go there. Not not, not, <laughs> at least in one state, right? That's right. That's right.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, ironically, uh, part of the reason for that is is the change in the federal farm program. When I moved back to the farm, you grew wheat, you grew barley, you got subsidized. If you grew anything else you got penalized. And and that was the case on my farm. Every acre of lentils that I experimented with, every acre of lentils that I planted, or peas, or chickpeas, you know, whatever crop, um, the government actually penalized uh, that decision.
1: We're having a wonderful conversation with David Oyen, a member of the Lentil Underground and co-founder of Timeless Seeds. Join us on the other side. This is Food Freedom Radio on AM 950.
2: Always carry news all over
1: the place.
3: You are a big disgrace, You teeth and AM 950's annual get-together for like-minded progressives is back. Hi, it's Mike McEntee, and the Blue State Ball is March 10th at the Blaisdell in Minneapolis. And I will be there and look forward to talking with you, along with Tom Hartman, Norman Goldman, and of course our own Matt McNeil. Plus, expect lots of big-name political guests and candidates. VIP and general admission tickets are on sale now at am950radio.com. Join me, Matt, Norman, and Tom March 10th at the Blue State Ball. Do yourself a favor and check out the amazing cuisine of eatlocalminnesota.com. More than just a website, eatlocalminnesota.com provides you with the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities. Serving family favorites in Minneapolis since 1964, Milda's Cafe is a great spot for breakfast or lunch. Wake up with their delicious Eggs Benedict or biscuits and gravy and savor their many great lunch options. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Milda serves authentic Finnish pasties. Open weekdays 6 to 3 and now on weekends 8 to 2 on Glenwood Avenue, 4 blocks east of Penn.
4: Six years ago, Dr. Emily Stein was confronted with a life-changing situation. Her grandmother developed rheumatoid arthritis and was unable to maintain her own dental hygiene. Unfortunately, her assisted living facility didn't have the resources to help her maintain her dental health either. Once her dental health deteriorated, her overall health deteriorated too. It wasn't long until she had multiple tooth extractions and a severe stroke. That's when Emily put her Stanford background in microbiology and immunology to work. She created an oral care lozenge, or Smart Mint, that manages oral bacteria to promote strong teeth, healthy gums, and fresh breath. Daily Dental Care is a life sciences company dedicated to addressing public health by targeting the root cause of dental disease. Because let's face it, we all could use a little extra help supplementing our daily dental care routine. Visit dailydentalcares.com or go to Amazon to purchase our lozenges and use promo code DDC95002 for a 25% discount on your first purchase.
5: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, care, or prevent any disease. Daily Dental Care lozenges are not intended to replace daily dental hygiene practices. Tom Harmon here, letting you know that better energy is finally affordable. With All Energy Solar, Minnesota's number one local home solar provider, you can go solar with little or no money down. Qualified property owners
2: could even see a return on investment in less than one year. Excel Energy's Solar Rewards Incentive Program is available first come, first serve, and federal tax credits are available for
5: a very limited time. Schedule your free solar assessment today. Visit solar dot com. That's allenergysolar.com. dot
0: So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. And with us is someone who definitely planted some seeds of change by starting to grow lentils in Montana. Which, 40 years ago, was kind of a weird thing to do. (laughs) Yes, it was. But now Montana's the number one state in the United States for growing lentils. Yeah.
1: This is David Oyen, a member of Lentil Underground, that's joining us. I mean, lentils, number one crop in Montana... Not in Montana, but they're number one lentil producers in the oh, U.S. Right, right. Number one yeah, lentil yeah. producer. So we okay. is still
0: number one in, okay. in Montana.
1: Well, see, then I wanted to make it the number one crop in Montana. <laughs> well, it should no, be. I mean, it would it would <laughs> make a lot of
0: sense, though, yeah. wouldn't it? I mean, it really would make a lot of sense for it to be the number one crop, would it not?
2: Well, you know um, what what really makes sense, you know, agronomically, agroecologically, uh, uh, for farmers is to have a rotation that works works in their environment. Uh, works for building the soil, and and works for, you know, disease and pest control by doing soil rotations and so forth. So, you know, in fact, there probably shouldn't be a number one crop. No. You know, yeah. there should be four, say, say, four or five number one crops in the sense that, you know, uh, from wheat you rotate, you know, which is taking fertility out of the soil, you rotate into lentils, say, which replenishes the soil. Then maybe you rotate to an oilseed crop. You know, uh, might be. Uh, what are some good uh,
0: oilseed crops?
2: Uh, uh, canola, flax, safflower, safflower. Those are appropriate for the uh, uh, for, for the northern Great Plains. You know where I come from. Talk um,
0: about the land where you're from. What is the land like? The rainfall and.
2: Yeah, um, uh, uh, the northern Great Plains uh, was um, originally described uh, by by uh, one of the early explorers as the Great American Desert. And that is because it is low rainfall, unlike here in Minnesota. You know, north central Montana, we get kind of ten to fourteen inches of, of of annual precip total, and and about you know a third to a half of that comes during the growing season. So that definitely limits what we can grow there. You know, without irrigation, I mean, we we don't we don't have a lot of you know surface water. We don't have aquifers and so forth. So uh, irrigation is really quite limited in Montana to uh, the few. Um, um, uh, you know, river systems that there are, but but by and large, the vast majority of acres in Montana are dry land, rain-fed only. So that limits the crops that we can choose to grow and to grow successfully there. Uh, the cereal grains are, are, are one that, uh, that, that do perform very well, wheat and barley, and as it turns out, also uh, the lentils and its cousins, chickpeas and, and dried peas, uh, g- generically called pulse crops, uh, those are also well-adapted. They originally... Uh, Came from uh, were domesticated about 10,000 years ago in the uh, in the Fertile Crescent kind of the area that we currently call uh, Syria, Turkey and so forth and that is a semi-arid environment Um, Also uh, these pulse crops lentils are suited to a cool season environment So a person would not be very successful growing lentils out here in Minnesota too much rain Too humid too warm at night uh, whereas in in northern Montana, it's perfect.
1: So cool, you isn't. can so the lentil itself. Let's demystify it a little bit. Sure. You know, a lentil. You said you know has like Syrian roots. You know, mm-hmm. Middle Eastern roots. Okay, and it's been around in this country for how long?
2: Uh, you know, lentils were first kind of started. Uh, to come into production in the u.s. uh... you know maybe in the early fifties in the in the geographic area called the palouse that kind of that that line between um... Uh, washington and and idaho uh... the palouse country Um and, and what's so magical about a lentil nutritionally
1: protein wise carbon wise what why is it why is it such a magical seed? uh...
2: Well there are lots and lots of reasons. It, it is very nutritionally dense. It has um, um, It's high in protein, it's high in dietary fiber, uh, it's high in folates, uh, uh, which is especially good for brain development, uh, for uh, fetal uh, development of the nervous system and so forth. Uh, very low in glycemic index, meaning that if you have uh, diabetes, um, it's, a, it's a very beneficial food, um, slow, slow nutrient release. It's also, interestingly, it's also um, about 50% higher in antioxidants than blueberries or pomegranate. Um, a juice. lowly lentil, yeah. l- Who'd have thought? Who'd, yeah.
0: thought? Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Lentils have twice the protein of quinoa, so it's a high protein food. Um, it's good in iron, twenty to forty percent recommended daily allowance of iron in a single service, single service, single uh, serving of lentils. Anything wrong with lentils?
2: Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> uh, what? 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 A lot of people sort of in their mind say, well. You know, I get gas when mm-hmm. I eat when I eat beans, you know, or lentils is a is a is a cousin to beans, you know. Um a lot of that just has to do with the digestive system, the fact that the American diet in particular, people just do not get the dietary fiber that they need. So, you know, when they eat foods that are high in dietary fiber, then their their microflora in their guts, you know, try to adjust to that and and until the the microflora kind of evolve, to a new diet then you get you know you get some negative reaction if you will
1: well only for time yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, only for our time, but the but it's, a, it's an it's incredibly important crop in terms of other food sources, right? When you compare the carbon footprint of a lentil to the carbon footprint of uh, corn or the carbon footprint
2: of beef, okay, it's an yeah, in,
0: You have a chart in front of you, yeah. so you want to read yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: the uh, Environmental Working Group uh, put out a chart of some of some common foods. Uh, a couple years back and they rated their uh, their carbon footprint um and uh the graph is really you know very interesting it 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 compares the um, kilograms of carbon dioxide contributed to the environment compared to uh the kilograms uh, you know basically a couple pounds but basically um uh, kilograms of, uh, of food consumed and as it turns out, uh, lentils were extremely low on that graph—the lowest of any of the foods that they tested. They did uh, all the meats, cheese, pork, eggs, potatoes, a lot of the staple foods. Um, and uh, beef is an example. Both both the on-farm uh, CO2 contribution and the and the post-farm Contribution in the sense of transportation, cooking, and so forth, processing. Uh, For beef, for example, it was uh, 27 times more uh, carbon dioxide um, added to the environment. Uh, than lentils were
0: uh, um. yeah, so i want to I want to just review all yep. this stuff again. So lentils are really good for the environment because they're a low carbon footprint. so they're and and we know that uh, food is a
1: big driver of climate change, about thirty percent, according to Paul Hawken and drawdown. yeah, oh, and uh, yeah. the grain
0: said it was up to fifty percent, but I think uh, they're also counting like refrigeration and all that storage. Sure. So between thirty and fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also it's good for human health mm-hmm. and it's good for soil health right and 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 then our farmers making money with it
2: uh well that's that is is the reason that we started timeless seeds uh the the company that that three friends and I started um, myself started when we moved back to montana uh, one of the things that we discovered was that we knew we wanted to grow these crops. We wanted to grow lentils uh, for the crop rotation, for building the soil, for all the things that... For the uh, philosophy the, that reasons. That we talked about, right? <laughs> because your
0: dad said that he'd rather have neighbors than the neighbor's land. Right,
2: exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but as part of that, then we said, well, we we need to market it. We, we, we need to create... Uh, the ability to go from the farm, you know, to to uh, to the grocery store shelf, basically, and um, and, um, and.
0: I think we're going to have to take a little okay. break now, but that's going to be the topic of next. How did right. we get from this wonderful philosophical world where we'd rather have neighbors in the neighbors' land <laughs> to a marketing system where everyone can also get their needs met? And get
1: your pencils out. Recipes, recipes for cooking lentils. <laughs> Common Roots Cafe is the
3: perfect spot for the whole family to get delicious local and organic food. They have a great kids' menu equipped with games and coloring, while parents can enjoy a great local beer, wine, or specialty cocktail. It's never been a fad or a marketing ploy to make everything from scratch with local and organic ingredients. It's always been an unwavering commitment. If they can buy it local and organic or get it from their on-site garden, they will. Common Roots is located off 26th and Lindale and online at commonrootscafe.com.
5: Hi, this is Ken Hagelin, president of Minnesota Hospice, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on AM 950 on Saturdays from noon to 1. Our team from Minnesota Hospice will continue our series titled Lifting the Veil," Revealing the Spiritual Truths About Dying and Death, and discussing a new perspective on aging. Please join us Saturday from noon to 1 for the new Minnesota Hospice show and learn more about us online at minnesotahospice.com.
1: Tap taste and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of Vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior, online at VinaigretteMN.com.
5: Hey, Minnesota, Norman Goldman here. The furniture business is one of those industries that's full of fake sales and false discounts. This is the age of the hashtag illegitimate fake president. And haven't you been lied to enough? That's why you need to check out Habitation Furnishing and Design. Habitation offers some of the coolest furniture in Minneapolis at fair prices every day. No fake sales, no phony discounts, just honest, intriguing, and really unique furniture. Check out Habitation on Excelsior Boulevard in St. Louis Park or visit HabitationDesign.com. This is Bill McClesley, owner of IP House in Minneapolis. We all know a working website is vital to business. But what happens when your website goes down? Many companies waste time just trying to find the right person to contact. That's why you need IP House. We offer reliable, secure hosting for websites. Our staff is watching 24 hours a day to make sure your website is always up. Discover our services at IPHouse.com or call us 612-337-6337.
4: Did you know that tooth decay is the most common disease in America? And that over half the American population has some form of periodontal disease? Simply brushing and flossing don't seem to be enough. The abundant bacteria in your mouth thrive off sugar to produce acid and plaque. But what if you could actually prevent bacteria from converting sugar into the harmful byproducts responsible for tooth decay and periodontal disease? Daily Dental Care is a life sciences company that leverages our microbiology expertise to create oral care products that promote strong teeth, healthy gums, and fresh breath. Our lozenges safely and effectively neutralize harmful bacteria and their disease-causing byproducts like acid and plaque without harming health-promoting bacteria that guard your mouth against the destruction that sugar causes. Supplement your daily dental hygiene routine with our convenient dental lozenges. Go to DailyDentalCaresWithAnS.com or Amazon to purchase and use promo code DDC95001 at checkout for a 25% discount on your first purchase.
5: These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Daily Dental Care lozenges are not intended to place daily dental hygiene practices. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for sunny skies today with a high near 14, tonight clear with a low of 2 below, Sunday sunny with a high near 20, and Monday partly cloudy with a high around 18. The Downtowner Woodfire Grill is the Eat Local Minnesota restaurant of the week. They have daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meals, exquisite pizza, and half-price bottles of wine Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy event nights. They have gift certificates available too. Located at 253 West Seventh Street in downtown Saint Paul. More at DowntownerWoodfire.com.
1: Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change, and we're planting more seeds of change today with a seed planter. Um, Damon Hoyan, a <laughs> member of the Lentil Underground and founder of Timeless Seeds. We're talking about lentils, and I just have to, black beluga lentils, French-style lentils, pardina lentils, green lentils, petite crimson lentils, harvest gold lentils. I mean, hello, lentils, right? And when we left for break, <laughs> uh, we were talking about the, the money associated with growing lentils, Right.
2: Yeah, um, you know, obviously, when uh, the, th- the three friends and I that started this business, timeless seeds, uh, we actually started in 1987. I mean, one of the reasons that we that we were looking for alternative crops was to make our you know small or medium sized farms more economically viable, and one of the ways of doing that uh, we created this business in order to take the, the the raw farm production basically and and bring it to food grade standards, and then. Um, and then um, introduce it to the marketplace, you know. And we've had the good fortune of being able uh, to do that fairly successfully. We have a, uh, a one-pound uh, retail format that's found in you know many many.
0: It's in the co-ops and the Twin source. Cities. Oh yeah, 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 The Twin yeah, Cities yeah, got yeah, have, all
2: across the country and yeah. online. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, online yeah. as well. Sure. Yeah. And what do you people look somewhere.
0: for? If they're shopping at the co-op and they want to buy your products. What do they look for? Uh,
2: timeless Natural Food is the is the uh, brand name of the uh, of the products Uh, we have one pound you know retail packages that would be found in kind of the recent uh, rice and bean aisle and also we're on you know many many of the um, uh, uh, of the bulk food Uh, distribution bins.
1: And if people can't get to a co-op online, where do
2: they find you? Uh, Timelessfood.com. Okay. And and
0: let's talk, so part of this was to help farmers develop a new income stream, but you also won an Outstanding Agricultural Leader Award uh, from the the state of Montana because you and your friends helped develop a system that uses less energy, is ecologically regenerative, and economically sound.
2: That was the goal, and we, uh, (laughs) you know... (laughs) To, to, to one degree or another, we've been successful in doing that, you know, for sure, yeah, yeah.
1: And economically sound means what?
2: Well, economically sound means that uh, that both the, the farms, the farm families can be, you know, economically viable, you know, and resilient, but also those local communities as well. Um, and one of the things that was maybe a bit of a surprise to me in the sense that, that um in the development of this business, you know, we have also created uh, good-paying jobs with insurance, you know, with IRAs, with other benefits for uh, 20 um, our, our, our 20 employees and uh, the 30 farmers that we now contract with. We just started with you know trying to trying to uh, market the product off our own farms. The original four founders of the business. And now we contract with over thirty farmers in um, in central and in, in eastern Montana. And um, yeah. it,
0: now, I met you at the thirty fifth National Pesticide Conference that was held here right. in the cities so this last spring. And and one of the things because this doesn't need pesticides; it comes with its own ecosystem that functions without chemical inputs.
2: Uh, yeah, you know, for, uh, for for organic growers at least, you know. Um, Many, you know, many of the pulse crops, many, many of the lentils, the vast majority, actually, you know, are, are produced under under kind of conventional farming systems. Um, um, organic farmers, you know, definitely have their challenges, uh, but but uh, there are ways to meet those challenges, and part of them ha- just has to do with management and and with with crop rotations, you know, with with, with um, following one crop with another in in the right sequence. Because the diseases, uh, the funguses, uh, the insects that that attack wheat, say for example, uh, do not attack the lentils, right? Because it's a it's a totally different crop. So one of the real advantages of crop rotations is to diminish uh, pest pressure on um, you know on crops within that rotation. So just as it does not make sense um, to grow wheat after wheat after wheat, uh, that that monocropping, that monoculture, that Just creates an environment that is that is ripe for pest infestation. Introduce lentils into that; that breaks those pest cycles. Uh, But the same thing would happen with lentils. You know, you you can't grow lentils. You can't grow peas. You can't grow chickpeas. Same field year after year after year, or, uh, you know, uh, the farmers just opening uh, themselves up to uh, to uh, to pest infestations.
0: One of the things you showed at that um, conference is a nice chart that showed how many pounds the average American eats of beef, chicken, turkey, as compared to
2: lentils. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, the average American eats uh, per year uh, 195 pounds of red meat per person per year. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. And, and uh, wheat, which is, uh, you know, another common staple in our diet in the form of whatever, pancakes, hamburger buns, whatever, uh, the average American eats 175 pounds of wheat per year. So how many pounds do you think, Karen, the average American eats of lentils per year? Oh, I know it's a
1: trick question, but <laughs> all right, I'm going to say two. Okay. Well,
2: I I, I wish that were the case. (laughs) (laughs) The average American eats 10 ounces of lentils per person (laughs) per year.
0: Okay. Okay. So, so if Americans (laughs) would eat more lentils, they would reduce their carbon footprint. That's right. They would be more healthy. Yeah. They would build up the local economy. Yeah. And they would eat
1: some really tasty food. All right, so uh, I'm a lentil newbie, okay? And you have convinced me. I now want to eat more lentils. Well, that's good. Okay. I'm a lentil, I'm pretending, right? But I'm a lentil newbie and I'm listening. (laughs) So, okay, this is like I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy some. Now, what do I do, David? I have them.
2: (laughs) Now, what do I do? Yeah, well, you know, lentils are really uh, an undiscovered treasure. Um, They've been grown. On this planet, for 10,000 years, they've been eaten. They, 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 they've, been, they, they've been in diets for 10,000 years. There are literally thousands and thousands of recipes, you know, online, in cookbooks for lentils. And they cover the entire spectrum. Most people in America, you say lentils, they think, well, a lentil soup, you know. I had that out of a can when I was a kid, and I hated it. <laughs> right. uh, the fact is, lentils are an extremely versatile Ingredient, and um, you know you can go to uh, our website timelessfood.com. You can go to uh, the U.S. Tripe and Lentil website and and find hundreds of recipes, thousands of recipes. You know if you search the entire internet, they cover everything from you know from from chip dips to appetizers to soups to salads to main dishes, um, even 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 to desserts. Can uh, you hide them in food so kids will eat them? Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs>
1: I'm you know cuz no, you no, have to they have totally. to get used to something right yep, Absolutely right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah
2: yeah Yeah and and um Lentz are now uh, appearing in in uh in school lunch programs K through 12 lunch great. programs um and the uh the, there's this whole movement called farm to school movement where uh, the the school lunch programs are trying to increase the nutrition value of of the school lunches and th- this is one of the things that they look at as well how can how can we get the kids to actually eat them? Yeah, you know? and yeah. and you know my kids grew up um, with with lentils as a substitute or or, or as uh, an addition to to meat to, to hamburger in in uh, pasta sauces in tacos and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and they can either be. Uh, a 100% substitute or a 20% or or 50% I'd love to eat at all the
0: Ethiopian restaurants and Somali restaurants in town. And my daughter loves her lentils. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the spicing. And there's each lentil. You you talked a little about the different types of lentils. Can we talk about these specific lentils and how you might prepare them and... Yeah, do they Get have different
1: tips? tastes, David?
2: Uh, you know, they, they they do have a slightly different uh, a different taste. If you're real, you know, lentil aficionado, um, uh. <laughs> um, you, can, you can distinguish them. But if you find a recipe for lentils, you, you can really substitute, you know, what uh, one for the other. Okay,
1: Do you have a favorite lentil?
2: Well, you know. Um, oh come on! I'll answer that two different ways. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a favorite lentil um, that. That time was actually introduced to the marketplace. Uh, we call it the black beluga lentil. It's a small black lentil. It was actually kind of co-named with one of our customers because he said, "Wow, this this is beautiful. Uh, this looks like caviar. You know, uh-huh. you should call it. You should call it beluga lentil." I thought, well, that's a <laughs> great idea. So we did that. And the fact is, uh, before 1994, there was there was no black beluga lentil. We oh. We introduced it. We named it. We were growing it as as a cover crop, strictly as a, as a green manure crop to build the soil. I was feeding it, you know, the screenings to my uh, to my livestock, to my pigs, my cattle, my sheep. Uh, we were eating it ourselves. Uh, we did a test for that lentil it was the highest protein of any lentil that we'd ever wow, tested that's you know?
0: impressive. and it
2: hadn't killed anybody you know it hadn't <laughs> killed, hadn't killed me or my kids hadn't killed my cattle. <laughs> well wait a minute you know maybe we should introduce into the marketplace so uh, that that's my favorite lentil just because it's, it's kind of a calling card for timeless seeds okay uh, so
0: someone's gonna buy this for the first time right. how should they prepare it what should they do with it
2: well wow there are that that th- th- there are many many ways you know to produce or to uh, uh to use the lentils, I like uh, the black lugas. I like them. Just substitute them in any, basically any recipe that calls for lentils, uh, lentil soup. Um, I especially like them in 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 uh, in cold salads. Actually, just cook it up with you know some um, uh, some spices. You know, maybe a little bay leaf, something like that. Um, uh, scallions, sauté some onions, some some uh, some carrots. Maybe add. Uh, um, uh, Walnuts, something like that, to get a little One, kind of crunchy taste. Oh, wow, One of my wow.
0: favorite cookbooks is More more, more With Less, and it has a great lentil barley casserole. Okay. Really simple, mixing mm-hmm. lentils and barley together. Um, and then uh, some people say, or there's kind of a false myth, that it's way too expensive to eat healthy.
2: Oh, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely not the case with lentils. One of the beauties of lentils is, is that they're... Uh, really a very affordable source of nutrition and, and source of protein lentils mm-hmm. compared to meat would be probably you know maybe 20 to 30 percent of the cost of uh, of a gram of protein if you're eating lentils In, versus, versus organic any lentils milk. oh yeah, yeah. even e- even organic lentils absolutely yeah for so, sure
1: so simple easy peasy do you need to soak
2: them no. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, most people think of beans, well, you have to soak them overnight. It takes a long time. Uh, the beauty of lentils is, is that uh, depending on the type of lentils that you choose, they will cook. At a simmer between five minutes and and twenty five or thirty minutes, uh, you see some of the lentils on the grocery store shelf. They're kind of a bright pink color. Um, uh, those the skins have been taken off of those, uh, so they imbibe the water very quickly and will cook in about you know in about five minutes. Uh, the lentils that are you know maybe brown or or a French green lentil, has a mottled seed coat, black blue lentil, black a green lentil. Uh, those at a simmer take twenty to 25 maybe 30 minutes depending on the size of the lentil so they cook very quickly uh without soaking Uh, another way that that i use lentils very regularly is i do soak them overnight i wake up in the morning i just throw them in my smoothie
0: oh Oh, that's a great idea i've never tried that yeah Yep. Yeah, cool. Raw and smoothie. And oh. they, they last for storage. So again, lentils are good for the environment. They're good for your pocketbook. They're good for the independent farmer. They're full of
1: antioxidants.
0: And, and they might make you to it a little bit, but you'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> at least at
1: first. At this least... is Food Freedom Radio. Join us on the other side. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shamblott from Shamblott Family Dentistry, where the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. We always offer a free exam and x-rays for new patients, because we believe you shouldn't have to pay to find out what's wrong with your teeth. Call today. We're open early and late and Saturdays to fit your schedule. As my daughter Rachel says,
3: If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth, because they're the only ones you get. Call 1 800 Fix My Teeth or visit fixmyteeth.us.
5: Chunk Gaming, Wisconsin, wherever you are and however you like it. We're just the place you're looking for. Six unique, fun, exciting, winning destinations located throughout central Wisconsin. Make your rounds to Wittenberg, Nacusa, Black River Falls, Toma, Madison, or Wisconsin Dells. For the hottest slots, most exciting games, award-winning guest service, delicious food and spirits, lodging, and live entertainment. Join the Chunk Gaming Rewards Club for free. And with a single card, you can earn valuable points no matter which of the six locations you choose to play. That means more exclusive of offers giveaways cash back discounts and much more visit us online to see all we have to offer and find the fun times nearest to you at hochunkgaming.com so wherever you are and however you like it we're just the place you're looking for hochunk gaming wisconsin wittenberg nucusa black river falls Toma, madison and wisconsin dells Experience
4: the difference. Gaming, wisconsin.
5: must be 21 or over to play
3: roots cafe is the perfect venue for your next meeting retreat or party of up to 25 people come see why such a diverse array of community groups use common roots as their meeting space the community room is only ten dollars an hour plus nonprofit and community groups receive a ten dollar credit for food and drinks located off 26th and lyndale make your reservation at commonrootscafe.com and take a look at their local organic and sustainable menu options that's commonrootscafe.com
5: As a family-owned business, Standard Heating and Air Conditioning has been serving the Twin Cities since 1930. A new furnace and air conditioner from Standard Heating and Air can lower your monthly utility bills, administer more consistent temperatures, and even improve indoor air quality, making your home safer and healthier for the whole family. The average heating and cooling system lasts 15 to 20 years, so if yours is on its last legs, call Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. Learn more at standardheatingdeals.com.
1: freedom radio where we plant the seeds of change I'm Karen Olson Johnson with Laura Headland, and our guest for this show this past show has been David Oyen, and a member of the Lentil Underground and we would be remiss if we did not talk about the book um, Lentil Underground um, it has incredibly rave reviews um, Liz Carlisle has done so competently in Lentil Underground discusses the stories of the real revolutions that must be reported from the ground up and it's in audiobooks now right David yeah
2: that's That's right. Uh, In November, it was released in audiobooks. So you can can listen to it on the way to the natural food store to buy your organic lentils.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so Francis Moore uh, Lape, uh, the uh, author of The Diet for a Small Planet in EcoMine, said, quote, these farmers demonstrate how to build democracy and build soils at the same time. What a deal.
2: What a deal. So <laughs> did you ever
0: think you'd get this place 40 years ago? When oh, Ezemon... certainly not. No, so, no. Yeah. Let's repeat the story in case someone's just catching no, this, no. this show late.
2: Okay, well, uh, myself and uh, three friends and I... Uh, Moved back to our family farms and in the mid-70s, converted them to certified organic in order to um, increase our crop rotations and try to identify some new markets. We started growing lentils, formed this company called Timeless Seeds in 1987 uh, to process and, and uh, market lentils, the so natural food industry primarily. Now we contract with about 30 farmers. Uh, around central and eastern Montana, and our crops are found in um, natural food stores all across the country. Um, some um, uh, meal kit companies, whose name everybody would recognize, um, and also food manufacturers, and we're getting increasing interest from from uh, food manufacturers like uh, Annie's Homegrown and so forth who are going to start using our lentils uh, uh, flour or our, our pea flour in some of their products. A lowly
1: a lentil. lentil.
0: Yeah, the <laughs> lentil feeds the soil, it's good environmentally, it has a low carbon footprint, and we could really change the world if we just eat more lentils.
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's actually one charge that I always uh, or I, I often give to audiences when I'm when I'm giving a talk. I say, don't be don't be consumers. Be food Citizens choose consciously and conscientiously what you eat and what you buy because how we're going to change the world is by what is on our plates. Farmers will grow what people eat if you if you buy nutritious food if you buy organic products, there will be more organic farmers there will be. More nutritious um, ingredients, and produced. we hear
1: day after day after day of the benefits of a plant-rich diet. Yeah, you know, yeah. They, I mean, it's it's I mean, there's it's so often in the news that it's now it's it's ubiquitous. We all not understand that, but it's moving more toward that what a plant-rich diet can do for you.
2: Yeah, yeah, plant-based protein is. I mean, it, it's really you know, as they say, the coming thing. Except it's already here. <laughs> you know, the, the future's already here; it's just not evenly distributed yet.
3: Oh, there you go. <laughs> I still I really
0: love this quote from your dad. That you'd rather have neighbors than the neighbors' land. No. So you're running contrary to that whole idea of get big and make all the weed. And instead, you found a different model, and it's functioning on so many levels.
2: Yeah, yeah. Is yeah, this because good.
0: you were a philosophy major?
2: Um, well, I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it was just dumb luck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but there is an ethic to good food. You know, and when food's yeah. done done correctly, you know, an ethic of relationship to the planet, you exactly. know, to your neighbor, to yourself, exactly, you know, all of that. So, yeah,
2: yeah, 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 that's the case. And you know, I think uh, the, this book that was written here, you know, four or five years ago, uh, you, you'd mentioned Francis Pay and, and some of the, um, you know, so, some of the blurbs in the book. Uh, the, the author Liz Carly was actually uh, a student of um, a protege of. Of uh, Michael Pollan at, mm. at UC Berkeley and um, you know she really captures you know that the, the book you know little underground oh. renegade farmers and the future food in America you know it, I mean it's about lentils but it's not really about lentils you yeah. know it's about so much more as you were mentioning mm-hmm. I mean it, it, you know it's about the ethic it's about it's about the importance of making the right choices both for farmers uh, for consumers, and you know, and and the federal government, and the, and the federal farm programs, has a great influence on the future of uh, you know the future of food and the future of our kids and our grandkids. Do
1: we need to bring a plate of Laura's, Laura's lentils to the Senate? Okay, that's good. <laughs> Laura, yeah, well, tell
0: us, tell us how okay. you make them yeah, so I've, I've been cooking with lentils for a long time. but again, I was like, we've got four minutes left. I want uh, but everyone has to find their own vibe with cooking with lentils. But sure. I will say the one thing is when um at the open door food shelf, we did make seven gallons of food and only spent ten dollars. Um, oh. We got some uh, turkey um, and some potatoes, and then we had some lentils and some barley. and we took all of our vegetables and we put them in a big pan. and then we kind of used some of those vegetables with the lentil and barley dish. People preferred the lentil and barley. I no. was I was actually kind of surprised, but that lentil and barley with just tomatoes, finding your own way of cooking. Uh, one of the simple things I've done now for years is just sautéing onions and garlic, put in some vegetables, add the cooked bar, add the cooked lentils, and whatever spices you want. I like things spicy, but there are, it is just a very versatile food, and it's also something that's good for gluten-free, obviously, and even paleo. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. it really, is very simple. You know, I mean, and if, it, if people don't you don't have time, you know, uh, maybe you don't want to dig into a cookbook, even do the, you know, an internet search or something like that, you can just boil up lentils, simmer them for, you know, simmer for 20 minutes, add a little salt, add a little butter, soy sauce, whatever. It's a great side dish. Very simple,
1: and you're done. And it would be a way to because the lentil is kind of like I'm going to say it's like a naked food. You can do what you want to it exactly, and make it become something. Exactly, right? you know. Right. So if you want it to be an East Indian flavor someday, you want it to be a French flavor another day. You know, I mean, it's it's like exactly, it's like a, a naked canvas. Exactly, right?
2: yeah, yep. yeah. North African, European. Search the internet; you'll be you'll be amazed at, at the number of culinary choices there are.
0: We've been eating this for over ten thousand years. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but that's now right. It's, it's also important to buy organic lentils. Do you want to talk about why organic lentils are important?
2: Well, you know, I'm I, I'm an organic farmer, so obviously I'm partial to you know uh, to the organic production system. But you know, the fact is that conventional agriculture has a huge negative impact on the environment. Right? There's a there's a ten thousand square mile dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico and the vast majority of what caused that is runoff of pesticides and fertilizers from the Mississippi River uh, drainage area and uh, you know the there are there are many rural wells in in Iowa and, in Minnesota and Montana, that, that uh, the water's not drinkable because uh, they've got high nitrates in them, which is a direct result of, of over-application and the leaching of nitrogen fertilizer. You know, uh, There are ways that we can make more responsible choices, not only in what we eat, but in the way we farm. You know, and and those two are connected. And if, you know, if if consumers, you know, food citizens, or if they're food citizens and really care about the environment, uh, and you choose organic ingredients, it will have a positive impact not only on your own health, but on the planet's health as well.
1: Is that your idea of food freedom?
2: Um, Yes, it would be.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take that away from the show today. Food citizen, to be a food citizen, and yeah. what does that really mean for our planet, for our ourselves, our community, all of that? Thanks for that tune, Hunter. That's it. Good One time. love. Let's get go. together. Yeah. yeah. Great.
0: Love those lentils. This, uh, there's a great book out there called The Lentil Underground, and uh, we've been talking with David Owen. He is the co-founder of Timeless Seeds. He took a Montana wheat farm and his family for three generations and transformed formed it to lentils
1: yeah go underground with those lentils
0: baby
2: you can do it (laughs) that's where it happens it happens in the underground
0: (laughs) this is food freedom radio on am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota